Hello, and welcome to another edition of Forrester CX Cast. Each week, we speak with an analyst from the customer experience team about their research or discuss a customer experience topic in the news. My name is Deanna Laufer, along with my co-host Sam Stern. You'll hear our voice each week. Hello and welcome to another episode of CX Cast. I am your co-host Diana Laufer here with my other co-host Sam Stern. Hello. And today we are joined by uh, Forrester analyst in San Francisco, Andrew Hogan. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming back. <laughs> we didn't scare you off too much last time. You sounded almost surprised. Thank you for coming back. Uh, <laughs> great to have you back, Andrew. <laughs> yes. Can't stay away. Yep. Okay, so Andrew lives in San Francisco. You are of a millennial age. <laughs> True or false, you use Uber and Instacart and probably one of those parking apps if you had a car, right? If I had a car, which makes this even better. And you didn't add Postmates. I also really enjoy Postmates. Okay, also Postmates. Probably others. Um, <laughs> We're establishing his, uh, his you know, tech optimist bona fides uh, here, right? It's, it's pretty intense. And I, I, would get, I would have drone del- I actually have a service that delivers packages to my house so that they come at the time that I want them to come. Oh, so they always show up at 8 p.m., let's say. Uh, well, normally it's a 6 to 8 window, but I choose which window. And last night they disappointed me. It was like about 8.05. But, uh, you know, oh, uh, that stinks. Struggles. Yeah. But what we're getting at here <laughs> is that you like your, your technology and these, these services. And yet you've written a report that we're going to talk about today called The Things That CX Designers Worry About. Um, and it is an unoptimistic report. Um, why is that? <laughs> you know, um, I, I wrote it because I, I have intense optimism about what could happen, but also uh, a steadily growing fear about um, what might happen. Mm. Um, and, and this report sort of um, built on some of the research that I did around um, bridging the gap between strategy and execution. Uh, and then also just from talking to um, designers and, and particularly designers at uh, uh, at a conference for designers in uh, Portland that I went to late last year. And it, essentially, there was this real undercurrent of concern about what might happen. And it, it kind of, it's, it's been tempering my optimism a little bit um, huh. because I see the possibilities, but I also fear, um, you know, that things could go pretty south pretty quickly. And so why should we care what a bunch of designers at a Portland <laughs> conference care? <laughs> why should yeah. we care that they're worried? Well, to be clear, they're not just from Portland. It was in Portland. <laughs> okay. But, you know, designers like going to Portland. Right. Um, I, I think we should care, and, and I should also preface this with I'm, I'm not a designer. Um, I'm a person who knows about business, who researches business, and who, who can almost uh, uh, take a little bit of an outside perspective. And I think we should care because... In all the projects I've worked on, the designers were championing what was best for um, for customers, for users. And it didn't matter whether they were business users, you know, some sort of B2B product, or whether it was a B2C product. Or it was it was uh, the designers were always championing this. And when they start to be concerned, you sort of want to perk up. They're almost like an early warning system. Yeah. Um, there's a problem, and you, you can usually overrun designers, and uh, you know, depending on who they are and their temperament and get something done, but it's never quite as good as it could have been. Um, And so in a way, you sort of want to listen carefully because sometimes they're not the most outspoken people. um, And that can give you some clues about 
what would work better and what would really be best for your users. And in a way, you almost want to line up behind your designers and help make them louder. Um, and so in this case, I, I uh, kind of felt the need to do that um, and, and also bubble up what was probably happening and what I know is happening in many organizations. Um, and I know Leah Buley's research has also backed this up, that uh, designers maybe don't have the, the loudest voice, but they're pretty important. Yeah, so you're saying, in a sense, they're the canaries in the coal mine, but we're not, uh, we're not actually, you know, many companies treating them that way. We're not looking to them for that early warning signal right. that you say they can offer. Right. We're telling them at the end, hey, put, you know, put, some, put a skin on this, like uh, kind of make these buttons look a little better. And that's, that's simply not the way that good design happens or works. That's what they're, that's what they're highlighting um, with all the innovation possibilities that are out there, but they're worried about the way in which the possibilities and digital will actually end up affecting customer experience. I feel like we're talking around it a little bit. So tell us, what are they worried about? <laughs> That's a fair question. So I think their big, their big fears are that we're simply being interrupted too much. And, you know, this is something that Apple's tried to solve with, uh, with the Apple Watch. Um, you know, you, you, instead of pulling your phone out, you look at your watch slightly less disruptive, but, you know, anytime um, we sit down, I actually had, had drinks with a friend who is a designer the other day, and he kept looking at his phone at his Slack notifications. And we, we couldn't even, we couldn't have a work conversation without work uh, disrupting uh, what we were doing. And, and so the, the fear is that we've got this ability to sort of interrupt people at every moment with push notifications and texts. And I've been a big proponent of SMS customer service and providing notification through text. But we've got this ability to, to interrupt what people are doing. And that's a, a sort of a, a great burden and a lot of responsibility with that sort of capability. There's so, actually, a, sorry to interrupt you, but there's actually yeah. a mobile app now. I was reading about this. I forget the name of it. But it's to help you be more productive. And what happens is um, when, you, when you put your phone down, you start growing a tree. And the longer you don't touch your phone, the bigger the tree grows. <laughs> and so if you can, like, sit there and not touch your phone for 15 minutes, then this app will, you know, grow the tree and you're supposed to help you be more productive. But what is it coming to that we have to, like, download this like app the, now to make us more right. productive? It's the anti-Candy uh, Crush. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't be yeah. distracted by this phone here. Yeah, yeah that is there's remarkable. Um, there's a UNICEF um, app as well that, that lets you donate the longer you don't touch your phone. Um, but it also becomes, uh, I've found, very stressful. You know that something is happening. You're getting the jitters. Yeah. What am I missing? What's you know what's what's happening here? Um, and I, I think that the the potential fear is that you know organizations could use this to contact people at many times and create more customer engagement. And more customer engagement may not actually be the answer here. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is particularly true when you start start thinking about connected objects and the Internet of Things. So it's a bit of a tragedy of the commons. I'm using a lot of old terms here, canary in the coal mine, tragedy of the commons, where notifications are great, except when you're getting a stream of them that turns them from alerts and notifications into this sort of almost, a, it's like a you know news feed on Facebook or Twitter, you know, your, your Twitter feed, where it's just this constant chain of updates that is impossible to sort of stay on top of. And this is one of the big things that designers are, are afraid of, that this, this possibility will be misused. I think the other big thing that, that I heard that designers are very worried about is a related trend, but slightly different, less interruptive, more sort of just simply distracting. The idea of, of uh, that every digital experience needs to have a screen and a screen that attracts a lot of attention. There's a great book by an author who spoke at a conference about uh, um, uh, the best interface is no interface, uh, as Golden Christian. And this idea that a UX designer is someone who makes screen is really um, dangerous 
continuous earning because it means that we're just going to have more and more and more screens. And, and it's missing the possibilities, the larger possibilities of what could happen when you have no screens and things just happen. Yeah, that's a great, it's a great reframing of it, right? Because if, if you're just designing better interfaces, you're still putting an interface on the experience. And, and you've lost sight of, you know, what you're really trying to do is help people accomplish their goals. Right. Mm-hmm. So why is this happening? Why are, why are companies falling into this area where they're just designing screens or they're designing these interruptive experiences? The first issue is silos. You know, everybody wants their own app and their own organization's app and um, their own business unit's app within that organization. Uh, so that's the first one. We can just sort of put that one aside because that's sort of the problem behind many, many experience design and customer experience issues. The other issue is that everyone else has a screen. Everybody else, you know, interrupts me and tells me things. So maybe I should just do the same thing. It's a, it's a lack of imagination about what could be possible. With the with the capabilities that currently exist, and I think when you're when you're at a you know talking to designers who see sort of the edge of what's possible, and then they're sort of they're saddened that they're sitting sort of at looking at what are competitors doing. Maybe we should just do that. <laughs> um, and then the other problem is a simple lack of concern for what customers are trying to do and actually worried about. And this this has happened, Sam. I know you've written about it, and, and others have have written about it. Um, sort of the, the larger you get as an organization, the further you get from your customers. And, and that sort of lack of understanding of what their real problems are, and, and uh, you know, because you're sitting in meetings all day talking about what your problems are, um, those things keep you from actually making experiences that are better with what the, the capabilities that exist. Yes, and I mean, I think they're, they're often guilty of looking through the wrong end of the telescope, right? So they're sort of, they're saying, well, we just, you know, they want a mobile app, they want convenience not sort of thinking, but they've got hundreds of mobile apps of companies they work with, not just ours. We're looking at it from our perspective, which is this would be convenient. We're not taking into that the context of stuff they do that's not with our company. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, a great, uh, there's a great example from Suzanne Pelican of, of Intuit, who's spoken at a number of customer experience events lately about how they had to basically rethink how they were doing customer research. So it wasn't just, hey, prioritize these 20 features. Instead, it was, let's do some exploratory research about what your day is like and what your business is like and what you're actually really thinking about. And then they had to figure out how to actually use that in the product development process. Uh, because, you know, previously it was more like, a, do you want one of these five things? <laughs> Which one? Okay, great. We'll build that. Yeah. And that's another reason you need to get designers involved earlier in the process, because if they're involved later, then it's like, okay, which of these five features are we going to build first? Not, are we even <laughs> building the right thing? Right. Right. So, Andrew... What should a company do about this? I mean, if they're launching a new app, just hit stop and, and say, no more, we'll, we'll be the ones, we'll be the responsible ones and not push new distractions, new interruptions, new screens out into the world. What can they do? Well, it depends on how far along they are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a good chance that they should probably finish what they're doing. There's a, there's a good chance that what they're doing will teach them something or, or they'll learn from it. But I think that's the key is thinking about how you can learn from what you're launching, because the goal isn't to make an app. The goal is to, you know, uh, create a better experience or create a better experience to sell more things or change behavior in some way. So looking yeah. at what you just launched or what you're thinking about launching through the real outcome that you're trying to drive and actually treating it that way, the actual business outcome rather than the sort of thing that you're producing. And then the other one is not stop trying to invent new things, but it's sort of think carefully about what you're inventing and the level of change 
that you're um, that you're introducing because the, the the harder it is to sort of find out how to use something, the more unfamiliar it feels, the less likely it is that someone will actually do it um, because I don't think people we know that people don't like to change behavior. So I think it's sort of tempering um, expectations of what they're willing to learn on your behalf uh, as well. Yeah, I think that's a great and suggestion. I, I completely glossed over the need to think about cultural change. I glossed over it because we say that so much. There's many other examples in this report about the tactical changes and little tricks, but there is a larger need to focus on customer problems rather than the solution that we're trying to build. But that's a that's a much longer uh, stream of research <laughs> podcast than, than we can cover today. Great. Well, um, for listeners that want to read more about those tips and tricks, um, that report that Andrew wrote again is called Brief the things that CX designers worry about, and we will provide a link to that in the show notes. Um, so, Andrew, thanks again for being on the podcast with us today. Absolutely. Great to be here. Thanks, Andrew. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. For listening to this week's CX Cast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in this episode in the podcast show notes. For questions or suggestions, please contact me at D-L-A-U-F-E-R at Forrester.com. And remember, your customer's perception is your CX reality. Mm-hmm.